This is Black Wall Street Chronicles, and we're back at it again. Uh, thank you guys for listening to my podcast. This is the new episode. Uh, today we're gonna talk about Bill Burr's controversial set that he did in Saturday Night Live, which I felt was very funny, but there was a couple of people on the internet that did not like it. Uh, before we get started, uh, if you are interested in more of my content, please call to my Instagram, BlackKageA40. If you go to my Instagram, BlackKageA40, you go to my bios, you can go to my Twitch, you can go to my Facebook, and you can go to my Twitter account. Uh, this podcast is available on all platforms, so be sure to listen. And what we're going to do is when you get right to it. So before we get started, I'm going to let you know exactly who Bill Burr is. And then after I let you know who Bill Burr is, his background and where he comes from, I'm going to give you my opinion and tell you why I think Bill Burr is right. William Frederick Burr is an American stand-up comedian and actor. He created and stars in the Netflix animated sitcom F is for Family, played by Patrick Kirby in the AMC climb driver Breaking Bad, and co-founded the Things All Comedy Network. He has hosted the twice-weekly comedy podcast titled The Monday Morning Podcast since May 2007. William Frederick Burr was born on June 10, 1968 in Canton, Massachusetts. The son of nurse Lita Ann and dentist Robert Edmund Burr. He has four brothers and one sister and is mostly of Irish descent with some German ancestry. He graduated from high school in 1987. In 1993, he obtained a bachelor's degree in radio from Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts. He worked in hair houses before starting his comedy career, lady stating that he enjoyed the freedom of the job. If my boss gave me a rough time, I could just get on the forklift and just like drive away. Bill's comedy career began in 1992. He moved into the New York City in 1994. Since May 2007, Burr has recorded a weekly one-hour podcast, Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast in which he speaks about his experience, current events going on tour in sports and offers advice to questions submitted by the listeners. The podcast is available on Burr's website in the All Things Comedy Network. He is sometimes joined by his wife Nia and has featured guests and interviews from other comedians. Burr premiered a new podcast co-hosted with fellow comedian Bill Crusher called the Bill Burr Podcast in October 2019. Burr also appears as a guest on radio shows and other comedians' podcasts, such as Opie and Anthony, You Made It Weird, Pete Holmes, and The Adam Carolla Show. The Joe Rogan Experience, What the F of Mark Moran, The Nerdist Podcast, Adam Bucks' Podcast, Nobody Likes Onions. Bill was also the first guest on Tom Green's podcast. On April 18, 2011, he guest hosted the Hollywood Babylon Podcast alongside Ralph Garman. In 2008, Burr's voice was featured in the game Grand Theft Auto 4 as Jason Michaels of the Viker game, The Lost MC, and Mission to No Love Loss. 
In 2009, he reprised his roles in the game's expansion pack, The Lost and the Damned. Yeah. Burr's first album's comedy special, Why Do I Do This, was filmed in New York. Bill's Let It Go was recorded at the Fillmore in San Francisco and premiered on Comedy Central on September 18, 2010. A later special, You People Are All The Same, premiered in 2012 as a Netflix exclusive. In 2014, Burr filmed his fourth hour-long special, I'm Sorry The Way Sorry You Feel That Way, at the Tabernacle Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. Unusually for modern comedy special, the film was shot in black and white. He was a regular on The Chappelle Show. Burr has been referred as a comedian's comedian. By observers of the American stand-up comedy circuit. Burr's appears in the movie Date Night as Detective Walsh. He has also appeared in the fourth or fifth seasons of AMC's Breaking Bad as Patrick Kirby. He played Mark Millens in the 2013 buddy cop film The Heat. He stars as the voice of Frank Murphy in F is for Family, which premiered on Netflix on December 18, 2015. The show and animated sitcom draws on Burr's stand-up and the absurdity of political correctness. Season 4 of the animated series debuted on Netflix on June 18, 2020. Burr writes and executive produces the series along with Michael Price. Burr's fifth hour-long special, Bill Burr, Walker Raid Out, debuted on Netflix on January 31, 2017. He appeared in the third episode of the second season of the HBO series, Crashing. Burr's six-hour-long special, Bill Burr, Paper Tiger, debuted on Netflix on September 10, 2019. In December 2019, he portrayed the character Mayfield in the sixth episode of the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian. October 10th, 2020, he hosted NBC Saturday Night Live for the first time and gave a monologue which united training criticism and praise on social media. In his opening monologue, he covered topics such as wearing masks during the COVID-19 pandemic, cancel culture, and white women who hijacked the Black Lives Matter movement. Rolling Stone Magazine called Burr the undisputed heavyweight champ of rage-fueled humor. Paul often portrays himself as that live guy in a bar with an uninformed logic. In an interview with the Boston Gold, Burr stated, I'm the dude, bro guy. According to the Montreal Gazette, Bird is a cynic and a contrarian who has never paid any heed to political correctness. The New York Times in 2013 called Bird one of the funniest and most distinctive voices in the country for years. Burr cites Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Bill Cosby, Sam Kennison, and Patrice O'Neill as the five greatest stand-up comedians of all time. Burr married near Renee Hill in 2013. Their daughter Lola was born on January 20, 2017. Their son was born June 2020. They reside in Los Angeles. Hill sometimes appears as a guest on Burr's podcast. Burr is a licensed helicopter pilot. In his spare time, he enjoys heavy metal music and is a fan of ACDC, Leb Sentient, Bentera, and Burr cites the late 
Led Zeppelin drummer John Berman and Slayer drummer Dave Lombardo as his inspiration for drumming. Burbs enjoy smoking cigars. Burr voted for the Green Party candidate Ralph Nader in the 2000 United States presidential election. I'm going to read off some of Bill Burr's works. Yeah, so he has performed in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, he's performed in Perfect Fit, which is in 2001, Passionetta, 2002, Twisted Portion, 2007, Date Night. 2010 cheat 2011 stand-up guys 2012 the heat 2013 walk of shame 2014 zombie verse 2014 black all right 2014 daddy's home 2015 daddy's home 2 2017 the front runner 2018 the king of staten island 2020 the opening act 2020 his television, 1996, he was in a movie called Townies. 1998, he was in Two Guys and a Girl. Uh, 2002, Law and Order Criminal Attempt, he was a jogger. 2004, Chappelle Show, various characters. Um, Jamie Foxx present Laugh a Producer, he was also in that in 2006. From 2011 to 2013, he was in Breaking Bad. 2013, 2016, he was in New Girl. 2014, he was Maron. In Maron. 2014, comedian in Cars Getting Coffee. Himself. That's that Jerry Seinfeld show. He was on the Neural Show, The Jim Gaffigan Show, F is for Family. The Simpsons, Crashing, I Love You, America with Sarah Silverman, The Mandalorian, and Saturday Night Live. Grand Theft Auto 4, Jason Michaels, and Grand Theft Auto 4, The Lost in the Dam. Those are two video games. Here's his comedy specials. Emotionally Unavailable, Comedy Central Presents, One Night Stand, Why Do I Do This, Let It Go, Live at Andrew's House, You People Are All the Same, I'm Sorry You Feel That Way, Walk Your Way Out, and Paper Tiger. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some articles talking about the backlash that Bill Bird faced during his comedy routine. The Los Angeles Times. Bill Burr's SNL monologue. Uh, I remember this, this freaking paywall. Excuse me. Let's try the Hollywood Reporter. Bill Burr's controversial Saturday Night Live monologue draws mixed reactions. The stand-up comedian who made jokes about cancel culture, white women, and Pride Month when hosting the Varied sketch series. 
comedian Bill Burr caused quite the reaction with his opening Saturday night live monologue after addressing a variety of topics including cancel culture, white woman, and pride month. When talking the stage, the comedian was quick to acknowledge the difficult times that had transpired through this year and praised the audience for wearing masks to abide by safety protocols amid the novel coronavirus pandemic. Though he said it makes him feel comfortable, he also said it doesn't bother him should anyone not wear a mask. Take out your grandparents. Take out your weak cousin with the asthma. I don't care. It's your decision, he said. If you're that dumb and you want to kill your own family members, by all means do it. Bill also took aim at cancel culture, explained it has come to the point where they're literally running out people to cancel. They're going after dead people now. They're trying to cancel John Wayne. It's like God did that 40 years ago, he said. Later on, Byrne turned his attention to white women who have hijacked the woke movement. Generals around the world should be analyzing this, he joked, explaining that the woke movement was supposed to be about people of color not getting opportunities they deserve. Burr argued that all change ain't in eight seconds. Then somehow, white woman swung the Gucci-footed feet over the fence of repression and stuck themselves in the front of the line. He said, I don't know how they did it. I've never heard so many com- much complaining in my life from white women. The nerve of you white women, he added to attempt to go back to history to explain his argument. You guys stood by us toxic white males through our centuries of crimes against humanity. You rolled around in the blood money and occasionally when you wanted to sneak off and hook up with a black dude, if you got caught, you said it wasn't this consensual. Yeah, that's what you did. So why don't you shut up, sit down next to me and take your talking to at the end of his monologue, Burke discussed Pride Month in which he asked for a month is a little too long for the celebrations. For a group of people that were never enslaved, how did they get all of Joan? He further argued that in comparison, black people only get 28 days of overcast weather in February. How about you hook them up with July? Burr's monologue drew both criticism and praise across social media. Some blasted Burr saying about how not pick hosts who say things like gays wearing a slave even though his joke is to point out that black people suffer more when used to tweeted. Others criticized Burr to referring to white women as bitches. Bill's Burr opening monologue is just obnoxious and misogynistic. It is 2020. Some of told him calling white women bitches isn't funny. Another user tweeted his monologue was also described as the worst monologue seen in years. Meanwhile, others praise the comedian for telling the truth, and those taking advantage of this joke simply prove this point. I love that Bill Burr made a perfect joke about white women making empty everything about us, and then a bunch of white women on Twitter lost their minds because they think it was a mean joke. Thus proving this point, someone tweeted, Roxine Gay also tweeted that she found his monologue hilarious and so well crafted, but he said his comments about cancel culture bombed. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said on that stand-up. Let's look at other...
other um, people. Vanity Fair. Why Bill Burr's socket white woman joke worked. Okay, I really want to read this. Burr presided over a great episode of Saturday Night Live featuring Myra Rudolph's martini soap Kamala Harris. Uh, paywall. Should I subscribe? No. Alright, forget about Vanity Fair or what they said. Bill Burr injects Saturday Night Live with some badly leaning boldness. This is by Dennis Perkins of the AV Club. I grew up in Massachusetts around the same time as Bill Burr. His canton in my hometown of Saugus within high school rival egg chucking distance. But while we never had the pleasure, I, was, I still have a sense that he would have at least made fun of me. Esber, I fled Massachusetts to go to college out of state and never went back. While Bill Burr headed to Emerson without, like I did, ever suppressing his stuff, controversial, very intimable accent that the world has come to dub the Masshole. Burr left Boston too, becoming a headline stand-up comic before making forays into character roles in TVs and movies. His Irish working-class gruffness makes his turn as the patriarch working-class, the quintessential Bill world, a masshole. Whose vulgar disregard for decorum and other people's feelings comes as a yoke of unexpectedly deep wealth of self-loathing and bad influences. Bill has such a strong personality. It is a little odd to hear him in tonight's monologue explaining that hosting Saturday Night Live is a lifelong dream. Like everything else Bird shows up to in tonight's show tingle with an undeclared a comic tension. In the case of the incongruity that Bird was hosting SNL at all. On one hand, the gigs is like the sort of thing Bird would make fun of. And it's not that Bill Berg is too big for Saturday Night Live. It is more that the comic round he staked for himself feels like off the Saturday Night Live map. Sure, he has the Pete Davidson connection, but as his monologues shown in his typically uncompromising willingness to piss people off, Bill Burr on Saturday Night Live is a constitutional mismatch. As it turns out, that's just what Saturday Night Live needed. Bill has a way of making you think that he's going to say something truly awful, then swerving to say a completely different awful thing without letting the first awful thing dissipate completely. It is a mass old thing. There's something ingrained in that accent and attitude that prepares the hero for ex explicitly hostile confrontation. When federal professional base dater Casey Affleck hosts it, it was only right that he appeared in the Dunkin' Donuts ad, which the premise was the regular denizens of the ubiquitous coffee grain created customers utilizing Dunkin's new order app by hostily demanding, You think you're better than me? Burst comedy style, he was closer to the hair trigger defensive offense 
offensiveness only for Bill Burr to veer into a more, dare I say, liberal lane without ever losing the tone that suggests that he's prepared to punch you in the mouth if you agree with him in the wrong way. Boston area, Massachusetts is a tough place to navigate. All those Saturday Night Live pared down pandemic audience made reading reaction harder than usual burr rounded up his set with a well that's my time of type usually reserved for a comic who just bombed bill didn't bomb except in the sense that a comedy hand grenade can be said to bomb comedy flashbangs hurled into clearly wary audience include wishing death on the families of those still not wearing a COVID mask cheering on the recent new york sucker punching of beloved long absent rick morianis and a run about cancel culture that being with bill announcing i don't want to speak ill of my bitches when talking about white women don't sound like setups for truly shitty jokes and depending on your tolerance for sneering bostonian disdain they might have stayed the way for you but in each case burr's swerve comes in the turning that you think you're better than me contempt on a slightly different target that you anticipated of course, he is not saying that it's great that some Yahoo took a poker recently remerged Morianis. He is just laying out there that his massive adjacent native New Yorkers are getting back to their old sucker punching ways, pandemic or no. Himmerberg spit out the term work culture, prepares you for some hacky bigotry, but instead pivots to a run of unlikely allyship. That it turns its common distortion instead of privileged white women inserting themselves into the cause of racial justice. Burr is a boldly unlikable act, one that teaches teases those prepared to burst out of whooping agreement. Last before claiming both those he suckered in and some by nearby and suspecting targets over the head. Burr's plays the ugly, I'm just saying what everybody's thinking, white male cis comic card, but flips it over and over again to usually reveal a better joke that you're expecting. There's a benevolent mass, old Bill Burr is, begrudgingly and rewardingly it. Bill as a character actor. Something that informed much of the cast performances and sketches that, apart from the showboating turns that are broadly called open, the best sketches tonight were more about characterization than premise, and it worked. No one better than the opening cookout scene when Burr and Kate McKinnon find an angle on a pandemic lockdown madness that hit over and over. The premise such as it was is that the married couple keeps misusing and mispronouncing words. S Steal for that to be the one and only joke. The laughs came from Burr and McKinney's layered, escalated, crazy eye fury at being corrected. Their day drinking quarantine brains emerging as so buffeted and bruised by their nine months of pack together isolation. That their neighbors' incorrect corrections caused repeated eruptions of false, sincere, glass throwing replicants. Again, you think you're better than me? Coupled with the side. Or the shutdown cabin fever makes for the feast of Bill and McKinney. Keening Thompson does Stella underplaying as ever as the host who sees just what the hornet's nest everyone has stepped into. But it's Burr and McKinney's all too relatable Frankenstein monster social ineptitude that makes the sketch run. <laughs> yeah, man. Now, what I'm going to do...
quickly right before I end this uh, short podcast is I am going to tell you why Bill Burr is correct about white women. My podcast is called Black Wall Street Chronicles. It pays homage to Black Wall Street. And I'm basically going to tell you the story of what happened with Tusla, Oklahoma. article this uh, is called uh, another paywall Let's look at history.com I hope this isn't, isn't a paywall either updated January 2nd 2020 Tulsa's Black Wall Street first is a self-contained hub in the early 1900s Greenwood Avenue featured luxury shops, restaurants, movie theaters, a library, pool halls, and nightclubs. Before the Tulsa Race Massacre, where the city's black district of Greenwood was attacked by a white mob, repelling in two days of bloodshed and destruction, the area had been considered one of the most affluent African-American communities in the United States for the early part of the 20th century. The massacre, which began on May 31, 1921, and left hundreds of black residents dead and a thousand houses destroyed, often overshadows the history of the venerable black enclave itself. Greenwood District, with a population of 10,000 at the time, has thrived as the epicenter of African-American business and culture, particularly on busting Greenwood Avenue, commonly known as Black Wall Street. Founded in 1906, Greenwood was developed on the Indian Territory, the vast area where Native American tribes have been forced to relocate, which encompasses the modern-day eastern Oklahoma. Some African Americans who had been former slaves of the tribes and subsequently integrated into tribal communities acquired allotted land in Greenwood through the Dawes Act, a U.S. law that gave land to individual Native Americans. As many black sharecroppers fleeing racial opposition relocated to the region as well in search of a better life post-Civil War. <laughs> Oklahoma begins to promote it as a safe haven for African Americans who start to come participate post-emancipation to Indian Territory, says Michelle Place, executive director of Tusla Historical Society and Museum. The enormous number of black townships after the Civil War were located in Oklahoma between 1865 and 1920. African Americans founded more than 50 black townships in the state. O.W. Gurley, a wealthy black landowner, purchased 40 acres of land in Tusla, naming it Greenwood after the town in Mississippi. Built for black people by black people. Gurley is credited with having the first back business in Greenwood in 1906, says Hannibal Johnson, 
offer of the Black Wall Street from riot to resistance in Tuslis historic Greenwood District. He had a vision to create something for black people by black people. Guri started with a boarding house for African Americans, then word began to spread about the opportunities for blacks in Greenwood and they flocked to the district. O.W. Gurley would have actually loaned money to people who wanted to start a business, said Christy Williams, vice chair of the African American Mayor's Commission in Tusla. They actually had a system where someone who wanted to own a business could get a help in that. Other prominent black entrepreneurs followed suit J.P. Stratford, burned in slavery in Kentucky, later becoming a lawyer and activist, moved to Greenwood in, in 1898. He built a 55-room luxury hotel bearing his name, the largest black-owned hotel in the country. As an outspoken businessman, Stratford believed that blacks had a better chance of economic progress if they pooled their resources. Greenwood became self-contained and reliant. H. A. Smitherman, a published whose family moved into Indian territory. 1890s founded the Tusla Star, a black entrepreneur headquartered in Greenwood that became instrumental in establishing this district's socially conscious mindset. The newspaper regularly informed African Americans about their legal rights in any court rulings or legislation that was beneficial or harmful to their community. Demands her equal rights were an ongoing mission for blacks in Tusla. Beside Jim Crow opposition, Greenwood itself had a railway track running through it that separated the black and white populations. Consequently, Gurley and Strava's vision of having a self-contained and self-reliant black economy came to be not only by desire, but by logistics. It's a practical matter said they had no choice as to where they located their business, said Johnson. Tulsa was rigorously segregated and Oklahoma became increasingly racist after statehood. After Greenwood Avenue, there were luxury shops, restaurants, grocery stores, hotels, jewelry, and grocery stores, movie theaters, barber shops, a salon, a library, pool halls, nightclubs, offices for doctors, lawyers, and dentists. Greenwood had his own school system, post office, savings and loan bank, hospital, bus, and taxi service. Greenwood was hard to far less influent African Americans as well. A significant number still work in menial jobs such as janitors, dishwasher, porters, and domestics. The money they earned outside of Greenwood was spent within the district. It was said within Greenwood every dollar would change hands 19 times before it left the community, said place. Time of racial violence. It wasn't long before the African American attracted the attention of local white residents who resented the upscale lifestyle of people they deemed to be an inferior race. I think the World Journal C is certainly appropriate during this time, says the place. If you have particularly poor whites who are looking for this properous community who has large homes, fine furniture, crystals, china, linens, etc., the reaction is, is they don't deserve to do that. With the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan, blacks in Greenwood often feel racial violence and removal of their voting rights. The Oklahoma Supreme Court for years routinely upheld the state's restrictions on voting access for African Americans, subjecting them to the poll tax and literacy tests. 
and the lynching profilated across the country, particularly during the red summer of 1919, where the anti-black riots erupted in major cities across the United States, including Tulsa. In response, the Tulsa Star encouraged blacks to take up arms to show up in courthouses and jails to make sure the blacks who were on trial were not taken and killed by white lynch mobs. Accusation of Sexual Assault and Night's Riots By the heightened racial animosity in Tulsa erupted in 1921 when a 19-year-old Dick Rowland and back Shana was accused of attempted sexual assault of a 17-year-old white elevator operator named Sarah Page. When an angry white mob went to the courthouse to demand the sheriff hand over Roland, the sheriff refused. A group of about 25 armed black men, including many World War I veterans, then went to the courthouse to offer help guarding Roland. As a word of a possible lynching spread, a group of 75 armed blacks returned to the courthouse where they met with some one 1,500 whites. After clashes between the groups, the black men retreated to Greenwood. Mobs of armed white men that descended on Greenwood, looting homes, burning down business, and shooting blacks dead on the spot. With millions in property damage and no help from the city, the rebuilding of Greenwood began almost immediately. Thanks to the assistance of NAACP and other black townships of Oklahoma, Donations for black churches in the Brazilian grilling community. However, some business like Tusa Star newspaper were permanently shuttered in the wake of the violence. The Greenwood district still sits today, but after decades of urban renewal and the integration era's demographics and business resembled a little of its historical past. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why Bill Burr was correct. Black Wall Street was a pillar in our community and uh, yeah, money was circulated through the town 19 times and it was all burned to the down because a 17 year old white woman falsely accused the 19 year old black man of um, accused the black, I wouldn't say falsely accused, I'm going to be fair, even I don't want to be fair at all. A 17-year-old white woman accused a black man of rape, and instead of going through through process, they wanted to do a public lynching and basically burn the whole town to the ground. Instead of going through the American justice system. And this is why Bill Burr is right about white women. A whole race riot started. Um, race, I shouldn't say race riot, a race massacre started because a white woman is was nudged in the elevator by a 19-year-old black boy. Black man, excuse me. We're not even going to start talking about Emmett Till. We're also not going to talk about how people want to bury Kobe Bean Bryant even though he has not been convicted in anything. Yeah, so... Thank you, Bill Burr. Uh, a lot of people don't know Bill Burr was friends with the late great Patrice O'Neill. They basically uh, came up in Boston. Dave Chappelle's show. Thanks, Bill Burr. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, God bless. 
Be sure to hear the next episode of Black Wall Street Chronicles next week. Thank you and have a great night. Bye. Thank you.